We're going to open 1 Corinthians 13. We want to welcome all that are here today and those that will be joining later on by Facebook, those that might could be joining that may be joining now. And for those that will be listening on Sermon Audio, we want to welcome all of you. Uh, we're going to be coming out of 1 Corinthians 13 and I'm going to do a lot of reading from a, a couple of websites I found to open up this what might be a series about loneliness. Um, I was going to preach on do you feel lonely and unloved, but this week I'm going to preach on the subject, scientific proof, loneliness kills. Scientific proof. So let's read the whole chapter, 1 Corinthians 13. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, that's another word for love, I am become as a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. Now, you know what, you've seen drummers, and they got those cymbals there that they makes a real high-pitched sound. And verse 2 says, And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not charity, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. Charity suffereth long. In other words, it's very patient. And is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth or buildeth not. It buildeth up itself and is not puffed up. Doeth not behave itself unseemly. Seeketh not her own. Is not easily provoked. Thinketh no evil. Rejoice not in iniquity, but rejoice in the truth. Speaking of charity, beareth all things, believeth all things. Let me read verse 5 and 6 again. Doeth not behave itself unseemly. Talk about charity. Seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil, rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth. Beareth all things, believeth all things, talk about the things of God, hopeth all things, in Christ, of course, endureth all things. Charity never faileth, but whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be done away. When I was a child, I spake as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see through a glass darkly. But then face to face, now I know in part, but then I know even as I also am known. And now abideth, Faith, hope, charity, these three. But the greatest of these is charity. Now, if you think that love is not important, there's a whole chapter dedicated to love right there. Now, we're going to be mentioning scriptures. Uh, don't think we're, no need to not you, uh, close your Bible up or anything. We're not done yet. But I want you to listen. I want you to, as I'm preaching this, I want you, you can glance down and look at some of the verses you just read in 1 Corinthians 13. Because what I'm about to 
share with you is going to blow your mind. You're going to be amazed. Now, what I'm about to read to you is found on the Conversation website. It was printed in 2016. And I'm not going to mention this person's name that wrote it, but I want you to listen. We're talking about loneliness. I taught myself about orphanages 12 years ago. Orphanage, of course, is where homeless children are taken. I taught myself about orphanages 12 years ago, not actually because of my work as a human biologist, but because of my daughter. She was born in 2004, and her first 14 months of life were spent in an orphanage in China. I am well acquainted. <clears throat> I am well acquainted with the vast body of research that shows the physical and psychological harms of deprived environments. Orphanages can arguably be placed under this category, along with other places such as refugee camps and some hospitals where children lack close contact and attention. Deprivation comes in many shapes and forms. And what that means is loss of your uh, what you could be, being deprived. Deprivation comes in many shapes and forms. Lack of food, disease, maltreatment, which is abuse, and child abuse are some of the harms that come to mind. However, I would argue that deprivation of love can be just as deadly. Now, this is not just some person that's uneducated. This is a, a biologist writing this, a human biologist. When I started researching orphanages and child health, I read the classic works of pediatrician Harry Backwin, psychologist John Balby, and psychiatrist Harry Edelston. At the beginning of the 20th century, now Listen to this. At the beginning of the 20th century, in the U.S. and the U.K., the United Kingdom, England, the death rates among infants placed in orphanages, nurseries, and foundling hospitals. A foundling hospital is a hospital created for children, babies, especially abandoned ones. The death rates among infants placed in orphanages, nurseries, and family hospitals were, in some cases, close to 100%. The death rate. London's, talking about London, England. London's founding museum documents, documents in debt these harsh realities. In the 1940s, the work of psychoanalyst Renee Splitz further documented high infant death rates, one out of three, and among the babies who didn't die, high percentages of cognitive, behavioral, and psychological dysfunctions. If you think the home life is not important, listen to what this person, uh, this human biologist, found in her discoveries. The first institution that God created on the earth was the home. He didn't create a church, didn't create a nation. You read Genesis chapter 2, verse 18 through 25. The first institution, the first organization that God created was marriage 
between a man and a woman. Why? Because civility would be built upon the strength of the home. The home is the bedrock of civility. People that have children not married are not a family, even though we today refer to them as a family. Why do you say that, Brother John? That's kind of cruel. No, God has defined the family. It's a married man and a married woman having children. That's a family. Now, does that mean if you're not married, you're to not care for your children? Absolutely not. You're to live as if you are a family, but God is not defining you as a family because you haven't done it His way. His way is marriage between a man and a woman, period. And broken homes are the reason a lot of the problems we're experiencing today is taking place, especially among our young people. Have you seen... Uh, you all remember the riots of 2020? Do you think those people came from good homes? You look how many people, probably probably 99.9% came from bad homes. I can tell, I'll tell you one thing. I don't know if this mother was, uh, I, I don't think she was saved. She might have been, but I know she, it seems like she was a single mother. But <clears throat> Junior made a mistake. He thought he'd go out there on those streets and act up with his buddies and Mama saw him on the TV. Do you know what Mama did? She went where her junior was and was slapping him on primetime television all the way back. And I'm not about to even think about reciting what she was saying, but it would have melted your ears. But basically, she let Junior know, I didn't raise you to act like this. And whatever was in him, she probably whipped it out of him by the time he got home. Now, I'm telling you, son, that woman, Ted, do you remember, son, she was, a, she was waylaying him. Yeah, I mean, son, she was waylaying him. That was back in 2014 during the Ferguson riots. You know, this country's never been quiet since 2014. Why is that? Because you've got a bunch of young people and what I'm about to read to you later on here in the minute is going to blow your mind. But we've got a bunch of young people that haven't... You ever hear the old saying, I, your mama's going to whip the fool out of you? The reason why that is, I believe it's in Ecclesiastes or Proverbs. I forgot to look it up. But it says, foolishness is bound in the heart of the child and the rod is to drive it far from them. We got a bunch of young people that haven't had the fool whipped out of them. Personally, I think my mother thought I might have had a tad too much foolishness. Because I can tell you what, she did her level best to get whatever was in me out of me. And she done a good job. Most of these deaths were not due to starvation or disease. But to severe, now listen to this, but to severe emotional and sensorial deprivation. Sensorial means when there's, there's senses, there's thousands of senses that goes off in your body when a loved one touches you. Or anybody, but especially your mom or dad. Little babies don't understand this, 
But man, their bodies light up when mama holds them or daddy and kisses them on the forehead or even to change their diaper. They get to where they know the mamas feel. Mom normally does this, but dad too. Most of these deaths were not due to starvation or disease, but to severe emotional and sensorial deprivation, or in other words, a lack of love. The importance of touch. This is really, this is really big here. Human touch is fundamental for human development and survival. Research conducted by Ruth Feldman and Tiffany Field has shown the positive effects that come from skin-to-skin touch in premature babies and that these effects are still at work after 10 years. In other words, how they were touched and handled when they were prematurely born has lifelong effects. Significant gains in neurological development, weight gain, and mental development of premature babies have been shown to be triggered by skin-to-skin stimulation. In other words, come here, baby, even though the child can't understand, and they can tell by the tone of the voice and how you're handling them that they're safe. Kind of like a cat. Cat can't understand language. It can hear tone and run if you're, you can tell. But you pick a cat up when it feels safe. It sounds like a little Briggs and Stratton motor running. I mean, that means they're comfortable. Well, just like little babies that can't talk and understand language, they they they're not going to purr. But I mean, they'll they'll sit there and not make a sound because they don't feel alarmed. They don't understand all that, but it's a natural instinct. And there's a lot of People today, young people, that have not been loved, that have not been touched in love by their parents. Infants in orphanages can be deprived of touch, individual attention, and love. Now, it's not because these places are bad. It's just because there's so many children as compared to those who work there. This happens not because... Well, I just said that all orphanages are terrible places, although some are, but because there's just simply too many people. There's too many children for the caretakers to devote time and love to. In the case of hospitals in Europe and the U.S., in the first half of the 20th century, in the early 19, from the 1900s to the 1950s, Nurses were required to cover their faces with surgical masks and not interact with babies. Parents and other family members were prevented from visiting freely as it was believed this would prevent infections from spreading and help keep babies healthy. However, instead of getting better, the babies got worse. Hello, Anthony Fauci. What did he tell? He told us to do exactly what the tests have proven were harmful. Wear masks, stay six feet apart, which is the stupidest thing I ever heard in my life. And he now admits it, that there was no research in that. Saw on the news over the weekend that there was a person in a plastic airtight thing where they had to stay because of the virus during the COVID. 
And they were trying to hug their loved one while inside the plant. I'm telling you, if, if time stands long enough, the next generation is going to look at us and say, what in the world was wrong with your brains? We weren't allowed to go to weddings, right? We weren't allowed to go to funerals. We shut the schools down, made kids wear masks. And when you're in the first grade and learning to speak words, we've, we've thrown our kids so far behind. They have to see how the mouth works to Cause te- teachers would say T or P. They've got to see that, and we covered them up. We've thrown them behind two years. There's people that are uh, forever uh, uh, changed and damaged because of the COVID rules. Same rules as what they found in the first. Part of the 20th century, first half of the 20th century, they thought everything they thought would keep viruses down made it worse. Back one understood that this was harmful to the children's well being. Ooh, I wish Anthony Fauci would have gotten a hold of him or read his articles. He stated that failure of infants to thrive in institutions is due to emotional deprivation. Folks, I'm telling you. Communication between parents and their children, and that includes touching, loving from the time they're born until they're ready to leave home, is absolutely essential. There's no, there's no replacement for this. <clears throat> the term failure to thrive is currently used as an umbrella term of conditions ranging from growth delay, emotional misery, and death. It is a generalized health problem seen in high-income and low-income countries, although it is more prevalent when poverty and a lack of human resources prevents the babies from receiving emotional and sensorial stimulation or love on a daily basis, not once a year. You know, I never, my dad never, I don't ever call my dad saying, listen, son, I go to work every day and you need to be watching me because that's what you've got to do. He never done that, that I can recall. But what happened was every day when he would um, go to work, he would walk around, he'd be leaving the house about 4.30 or 5 in the p.m. He worked at the Herald-Dispatch and he'd let each of us kids kiss him on the cheek. Because we knew where he was going. And from that little habit, it was embedded in me and the rest of my sisters that if you want anything, you got to go work for it. I can remember the day he came to me. I was about 12. And he bent down for me to kiss him on the cheek. And I didn't do it. I said, no, I said, I'll shake your hand. I was becoming a man. I'd kiss him on the cheek today if I could. But I was developing. I was turning into manhood. And I, uh, I didn't kiss my dad on the cheek after that. I always kissed my mom, but I didn't kiss my dad. 
That doesn't mean I didn't love him. It's just man. It's a man thing. Now, what I'm about to read to you came from the Popular Science website, 2018. I want you to listen to this. This is opening up what I'm going to be preaching on next week. On, on the subject of do you feel lonely and unloved? The first insights into attachment theory began with studious, studious observations on the part of clinicians. Listen to this. Starting in the 1910s and peaking in the 1930s, which is the decade my father was born, doctors and psychologists actively advised parents against hugging. That's why... A lot of the older people we know seem so hard. You ever met those people? They just seem hard-nosed. Our grandparents, they were, uh, they may have loved, but they were just hard. I mean, they, man, I mean, if you, if you hit them with a rock, it wouldn't hurt them. You know what I'm saying? In the 1910s and peaking in the 1930s, doctors and psychologists actively advised parents against hugging and kissing or cuddling children on the assumption such fawning attention would condition children to behave in a manner that was weak, codependent, and unbecoming. The experts were wrong. Because you just read in 1 Corinthians 13 where love is everything. Right? Now who are you going to believe, the experts or God? I'll, I'll go with God. The theory of behaviorism was derived from research like Ivan Pavlov's classical conditioning research on dogs and the work of Harvard psychologist B.F. Skinner who believed free will to be an illusion. In other words, they didn't believe that people had a free will, a free will to love. A free, they didn't think parents should have the free will to love their children, hold them, and tell them how much they love. I tell them to go jump in a lake. Applied in the context of the family unit, this research seems to suggest that forceful detachment on the part of Ma and Paul were essential ingredients in creating a strong, independent future adult. Just the opposite. If you want to shipwreck a child's life, show them no love and give them no uh, correction and discipline and give them no direction. And I promise you, the world will take them in and take them down a path that they should have never been on. It'll take them down to an early grave many times. Parents were simply there to provide structure and essentials like food. No, parents are given by God to love and help that child develop to its fullest abilities. After the end of World War II, doctors began to push back. Thank the Lord. In 1946, Dr. Benjamin Spock, who's no relation to Dr. Uh, well, forget that, authored Baby and Child Care. He was the author of a book called Baby and Child Care, uh, the international bestseller, which sold 50 million copies. The book, which was based on his professional observation of parent-child relationships, advised against the behavioral theorist of the day instead. Spock implored parents, in other words, begged parents, 
to see their children as individuals in need of customized care and plenty of physical affection. Oh, it sounds like somebody believed the Bible. Didn't Jesus say, no greater love hath this than a man give his life for his friend? You can't have any great... I think as I get older, I wish I could talk to my dad and my mom again. Because I didn't get to appreciate. I, it's just a natural process. It, Ted, don't you wish you could say, man, I thank you for everything you've done. Man, I'm telling you. It's amazing how wiser we get when we get older. I just wish I could see dad and say, dad, thank you. Because now I know what you went through. So we kids could, I can remember one time he brought in little transistor radios for me and Vicky. That was big, man. And he, you know, we weren't poor by no means, but we weren't rich, but we had a nice home. Dad made a nice living, but he thought enough of us kids. He brought us a little transistor. Vicky still, I think has hers. Me, a boy who I lost it, but I wish I had it. But man, we just thought that was the biggest thing. He bring us little gifts in candy or something. That don't sound like much, but it's everything. It's everything to have a dad that loves you. I told you this before. I'm going to tell you again. Mom told dad, see, my dad went to work at five, got back home about four in the morning. And she said, I'm going to fix you a strawberry pie. Well, I come in from a date with Brandon and, I, some other reason. I didn't keep her out late, but I some, drove around or something. I got back in about 3.30. Open that refrigerator. Now, I'm 16 years old. What do you think happened? I, you better believe it. And Dad came in about an hour and a half. He said, I heard him say, Aldina, I thought you, I thought you was going to make me a strawberry pie. Well, I did. And then it got real quiet, and then both of them at the same, same time said, Andy. <laughs> That's my nickname. At the same time, the British psychiatrist John Bowdy was commissioned to write the World Health Organization. It was a lot. It, the WHO was back then, uh, around back then, to, to write maternal care and mental health report. Bowdy had gained renown before the war of his systematic study of the efforts of institutionalization on children from long-term hospital stays to childhoods confined to orphanages. Now listen to this. Published in 1951, Bowby's lengthy two-part document focused on the mental health of homeless children. Now I'm telling you something. A child can be homeless while having a home. How can that be? Because they're never home. In it, he brought together anecdotal reports and descriptive statistics to paint a portrait of the disastrous effects of the separation of children from their caretakers and the consequences of deprivation on both the body and the mind. Partial deprivation brings in its train acute anxiety. There's a lot of people filled with anxiety. I get a little nervous over some things. But there's people that live in anxiety. That could be evidence of how they were loved when they were a baby and a child. 
Partial deprivation brings in its train acute anxiety, excessive need for love. They'll go overboard. You make a friend with somebody and they want to be around you 24-7. That's not a bad thing, but that's a sign that they may not have had too good of a childhood. I want people to love me. I got somebody to want me around, besides Brenda. Powerful feelings of revenge is another sign of problems at home. This is what he found. And the arising from these last guilt and depression. Balby wrote, like Spock, this research countered behaviorist theories that structure and sustenance were all a child needed. Orphans were certainly fed, but in most cases they lacked love. The consequences, Balby argued, were dire and long-lasting. I got one more paragraph before we end this part one of loneliness. Romanian orphanages, and we've been getting hits on Sermon Audio in Romania. Romanian orphanages established after the fall of the Soviet Union have served as such a study site. The facilities which have been described as slaughterhouses of the soul have historically had great disparities between the number of children and the number of caregivers, 25 or more to one child, meaning few if any children receive physical or emotional care they need. Many of the children who were raised in these environments have exhibited mental health and behavioral disorders as a result. It's even had an effect, a physical effect, with neurological research showing, listen to this, with neurological research showing a dramatic reduction in the literal size of their brains and low levels of brain activity as measured on the EEG machines. How you, how children... Children that are abused <clears throat> and how parents raise their children, how parents love their children can even have an effect as to how big their brain grows. And I'm going to tell you, and I'm, not, I'm not saying this to be ugly at all, but when we saw those riots and the violence of BLM and Antifa, or Antifa, however some pronounce it both ways. It could be, and the flash mobs going into stores and stealing, you've seen that on the news, like in San Francisco. Stores are closing down all over the country because they're, they're going broke. It could be done by young people whose brains did not mature because they were not loved. Folks, this is serious stuff. Now 1 Corinthians 13 takes on a whole new meaning, doesn't it? 1 Corinthians 13 can have... If you follow 1 Corinthians 13, your life will change tremendously. Your anxieties will drop. You'll love Jesus more. And you'll love people more. 
and you'll even be able to love those who do you wrong more. And we've all got room to grow in that area. But love is the key. It's like that gospel song sung back in the 50s. Love is the key to heaven. Faith unlocks the door. One of my favorite singers, Jake Hess, used to sing that. But folks, it's about love. Parents, it's about loving your children. You have... who I never dreamed I'd be... I, this is why I love to preach. I love to do study and research. I need to do... I wish I had more time to do it. But parents, listen to this in closing. Wherever you're at, how you love your child can even affect the size of... Of, their, of your child's brain. How you love and treat your child can affect the intellectual abilities of your child. It literally has an effect on whether the brain will reach its fullest size. You can shut your child's brain down by shutting down your loving relationship you're supposed to have with your child. You don't love your child. You're shipwrecking that child's life and you're shipwrecking your life. And there'll be a point come to where you cannot do nothing else except say, I'm sorry, I blew it with my child or children. All I can do now is change and try to be an example to them. That's it. And when I say that's it, I'm not minimizing that because you still may... Be able, God may use you to have a tremendous effect on your child. How can that be? I don't care how rebellious your child or children may be, they will know that when Sunday rolls around, daddy or mommy or daddy and mommy's going to be in church. You need to be, you need to read your Bible in front of your children. I don't care if they're grown. You need to have that Bible, or you need to let them, you need to have that Bible open where you've been reading. That's a testimony right there. I can't tell you how many times I've been in restaurants. Brenda wasn't with me. I'd be on the job down in Florida, and uh, I'd go in there and I'd have a little Bible, and I'd be reading. I can't tell you how many people's come up to me and said, oh, why are you reading there? Or, hey, what do you think about this? You see, I don't like reading the I will if I have to but I don't like reading the Bible on the phone because when people see you they think you're looking at TMZ or some entertainment site they don't know you're reading the Bible but I'll tell you what you take one of those little New Testaments in you take this big one in everybody and their brother is going to know what you're reading and you don't even have to say a word this will witness for you And may we here at this church, in closing, love each other. May we look past our faults. Fervent love hideth a multitude of sins. What does that mean? That means our love for each other will help us look over our fault, and we all have fault because we're depraved human beings. Believe it or not, you're my, you might not be where you think you are. There's a lot of people think they're a legend, but that's only in their mind. In reality, everybody else knows you're just like everybody else. But may we love each other. May we love Jesus first. And if we love Jesus correctly, we'll be able to love each other here at this church more. 
Let's bow our heads. Father in heaven, in Jesus' name, as I come for your throne, thank you for this day life you've given us. Pray that you forgive us for our sins and many shortcomings. We pray that you'll use this message for your honor and glory, for the honor and glory of your Son, Lord Jesus Christ. May you use it to help people that have just become parents, those that may be in the crisis of um, uh, young people losing control of them. May you, may you just use as you see fit. But may people see 1 Corinthians 13 uh, as a witness from you as how important love really is. Help us not to ever hate, but to love. And to love thee and thy son, the Lord Jesus Christ, through the aid and help of the Holy Spirit, more than ourselves. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.